Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My topic today is collective defense. My privilege to be speaking with Bill Swearingen. He's a cyber strategist with IronNet Cybersecurity. Bill, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So, Bill, IronNet is all about the concept of collective defense. It's something I've discussed with your CEO even most recently. But take a moment to define collective defense, please, in your context. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the way that I like to uh, think about collective defense is that when you, when you really stop and think about it, companies are all primarily focusing on the same and similar threats, right? So what, what's targeting me Tom is is probably targeting you, right? So I have a I have a team of let's just say five researchers. I've I've dedicated this team that they're they're looking for threats in my environment. They're researching malware. They're fighting phishing attacks. These are probably very similar and maybe related to the same attacks that are that are uh, targeting your company. And when you, when you when you pull back and you think about it, we're, we're we're approaching this incorrectly as as a community, as a security community. We, we should be leveraging the research that my team is doing to help yours and vice versa, right? So if your team has already researched this threat, it doesn't make any sense for me to, uh, to, to be dedicating resources to, to be researching a similar threat. I should be learning from you, from the research that, that you've done to be able to better protect better protect my company or, or my, my industry or, or my nation. And that's, that's kind of how I think about collective fence is that we're all in this together. Uh, we're, we're all uh, researching similar things, and we should be sharing it uh, at, at, a, at a machine speed in, in a way that, that could be beneficial for everyone. So, Bill, how is collective defense distinguished from traditional information sharing and threat intelligence in the work that we do with our Isaacs even? Yeah, that that's a really good question, Tom, and, and something that I, I feel like I could probably talk for a whole hour on. I, I'm pretty passionate here. So uh, w when I think about traditional information sharing and threat intelligence, uh, I, I think that, that that was our step one, right? We, we realize that this is something that, that we can do. But I would imagine that most of your most of your listeners probably are aware of the problem with threat intelligence is is, is operationalizing that threat intelligence. So I've I've a peer and and he put it so eloquently. I'm just going to steal his quote. Is that uh, he stated that the threat intelligence often ends with the data, and, and that's been in my experience as well. And, and what what he what he means by that is when you take a look at what's being shared by threat intelligence companies or ISACs or or any other way that you're getting that. A lot of times you become aware of a threat. Uh, let's just say an ISAC shares some some threat intelligence. Now it's up to the company to operationalize that intelligence. How are you going to how are you going to implement that intelligence into your network or or into your environment that that makes sense? Um, and that's where a lot of a lot of threat intel dies. Right? It, it's difficult. It, it's a hard problem. Um, so in, in my past, one of the things that we did that uh, to, to counter this was anytime that we that we gathered threat intel, we put it into a gray list, meaning that we're not going to block, right? We, we, we don't know the source of this data. We don't know the, you know, how legit this data is. We're just going to see if, if this, if we were to block, would, do we have anybody connecting to that threat intel, uh, you know, to that particular IOC? Are we seeing that, that, uh, that executable in our environment? You know, are, are we seeing those kind of things and then bring that over to a human uh, to to make a determination on on how we should uh, on on how should we should respond to that. So, 
Uh, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult problem. When you take about when you take a look at at collective defense in general, uh, it includes IOCs, right? So so IOCs are important domains, processes, hashes. All all of those things are important, but it doesn't really tell you exactly what's going on. Tom, I'm I'm sure that you know just as well as I do that um, you know a hash value of a of an executable is is very it's trivial to change, right? I mean, so if I'm only looking for that hash value, I may miss something. However, the behaviors of that of 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 that particular threat, whether that be we would be talking about a, an executable, a process, or even even with a you know a, a domain or or whatever, that's that's much more difficult to to change. And so, if I were to tell you, Tom, if I were to say, hey, we just saw a threat come into our environment, uh, they were targeting our you know our finance department, and they were looking to change the the uh, direct deposit information of our, some of our employees. What I just gave you was was much more actionable for, from your side. So now you you know that hey, if if I need to protect, uh, I you can determine yes, I've seen that as well. Or hey, I should probably should go talk to my my finance department and say and let them know that hey, if we start seeing things for direct deposit changes, uh, that that would be um, you know indicative of an attack, right? So I think that's kind of the difference between a collective defense and and you know, traditional threat intelligence. Bill, you talk about that challenge of operationalizing what you receive. What would you say are the key technologies that power collective defense? Yeah, uh, so this kind of goes back to, to your last question. And, and I think when you take a look at traditional information sharing and, and threat intelligence, we, we've already done a lot of the work there that, that, we, that we need to uh, to actually start to implement this, and and and, and I'm sure that you're aware, it, it, we need a way for for computers to to share this intelligence in a way that that we can that we can use it. When you take a look at you know uh, sticks or or other file formats that that are machine readable, we're we're starting to get there, right? So what what we need is is a common way of uh, you know as an as an industry, we need a common way of of categorizing. Threat Intel. Uh, we need a common way of sharing Threat Intel, and we need common platforms to be able to to implement that, that and and uh, and utilize that in our environments. So, talk to me about the barriers. What are the hurdles that organizations need to overcome to be able to effectively embrace this concept of collective defense? That's a that's a really good question, and there are sev several barriers. And um, I think that most people, when when they think about barriers, they think of it as a technological problem, and that's not necessarily the case. So so obviously obviously there are some concerns there, right? So uh, you you need to make sure that you have you know kind of going back to what I was just talking about, you need to have a way to ingest and operationalize that that information, and certainly that comes with a, a technological component. But but it also has to do with priorities. So some of the most common barriers that that CISOs are are faced with is, you know, when it when it comes to to technological implementations, a lot of times they've already solved that particular problem. Whether we're talking about web content filters or um, intrusion detection or advanced malware analysis or uh, you know endpoint protections, and their priorities are 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 focused in in other areas, right? So that may be. It may be uh, compliance, you know, uh, GDPR, I'm sure, is, is uh, a hot topic and, and you know, in uh, just other other competing priorities. Right. 
I think the most common barrier that we need to overcome is, is just understanding the priority of ensuring that we can make our teams more effective, right? So if we were just invest uh, a little bit of time and energy, and it doesn't have to be the, the only priority, but, but recognizing that, uh, that, that we can make our teams more effective by, by leveraging the capabilities of, uh, of other teams, like capabilities and research and, and others, that would make our team more effective in freeing up the time needed to, to work on, on the other priorities. Bill, I know you've got significant private sector experience and you work with colleagues that have got significant public sector experience. What's it going to take to achieve the level of private-public partnership necessary to really grow this concept of collective defense? Yeah, so I, I think probably the the biggest thing, especially on the private side, is ensuring that anytime that that you share data, that it's anonymous, right? So that that you won't be held responsible for, uh, can, you know. Stating, hey, we just experienced a uh, security incident. Uh, here are the details around that around that incident. I, if you put yourself into the the shoes of a CISO, that it's a loaded gun, right? Now your marketing team uh, needs to be involved. Your legal team needs to be involved. Your board of directors are are probably going to want to weigh in on on uh, on on how public we make this, right? And so so it, it's. Uh, it's common for people to not want to share because of that, th those reasons. And, um, and then likewise, uh, you know, if, if it's a uh, very significant breach, you may have some, some implications that come down uh, from, you know, from, from the government. Right. And, and I think that those are some, certainly some things that we need to overcome is, is being able to, to share data in a way that that's beneficial for, for companies or for organizations and for countries in a way that doesn't put them in a defensive in a defensive position, right? We we need to find a way that uh, where we really change the narrative of why would we share this information? We we, we need to change the narrative in, into why wouldn't we? One other thought is organizations need to recognize that while we are in all in this together, we all have different capabilities. Um, as as a uh, you know, I worked for for a major organization before joining uh, before joining IronNet, and uh, and it was a, a a major ISP, and the capabilities that the ISPs have are very different than uh, you know than perhaps what other companies have. For example, I had the capability of removing threats from the internet, right? And likewise, when you engage with the government, the the government has has um, you know has political capabilities that that just aren't available to you know to individual organizations and, and so uh, if we bring all of these capabilities together uh, we could really change the the face of security so bill talk to me about who is using collective defense today and what can we learn from the experiences of some of these pioneers one of the things that really drew me to ironnet um, was as as in my previous career i was i was taking a look and, and thinking about where where do I think security is going to be in, in five and 10 years? Um, and, and how do I make sure that, um, that, that I'm partnering with, with those capabilities or, or, or just taking a look at, at how, do I, how do I build those capabilities in, into, into my system there at, at my previous role? Um, and that's how I came across, uh, came across IronNet. Uh, so I went out and was, was looking for, um, actually I was looking for the term collective defense. I, didn't, I wasn't aware that, that it was actually an industry term. 
And and I think that this is an emerging market. So I, I think that if you were to to really sit down and, and start to define who's using collective defense today, uh, there we 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 kind of are right. So we we kind of have this model already. If you take a you you mentioned the ISACs earlier. Certainly, there are some ISACs that that are really all in and doing amazing things um, in their particular verticals. Um, and, and likewise, I think if you take a look at some of the security vendors, uh, whether we're talking about, you know, endpoint or, or perhaps uh, web content filtering, uh, DNS, those kind of things, that, that concept exists, right? But it's still very, it's still very isolated to, to those environments. And, and we need to, and as an industry, we need to be buying into this concept and making sure that our network defenses and our endpoint defenses and our policies are aligned to that collective defense. Um, and as, as I, you know, started researching IronNet and, you know, I don't definitely don't want to make this a, a commercial about IronNet, but, but as I was researching IronNet, what, what I found is uh, th this is an emerging market. I, I took a look at the leadership of the company um, started to to look at the capabilities that were being delivered, uh, and and quite honestly, it was a pretty an, a, an easy decision for me to rather than try and implement the technology, I wanted to be a part of the solution, and so I, I joined the company. Bill, well said. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. I had a great time. Again, the topic has been collective defense. I've just been speaking with Bill Swearingen, cyber strategist with IronNet Cybersecurity for Information Security Media Group. I'm Tom Field. Thanks so much for listening.